0: Hey
1: everybody and welcome to episode 44 of Metallicast, the Metallica podcast. I'm your host and fellow Metallica fan, my name is Brandon. On this episode I'm joined by Bob Nobandian. Bob is a personal friend of the band who goes way back with Lars Ulrich before Metallica was even formed. And you are going to hear a bunch of great first-hand stories from those early years in this episode. Plus, a bunch of first-hand stories about the general L.A. metal scene in the 1980s. Bob is also a writer and director. His new documentary is called Bay Area Godfathers. And it is out now about the Bay Area metal scene of the 1980s. And, of course, Metallica being a big part of that movement. So please check out the documentary out now on DVD and all major streaming services. And here is my conversation with Bob Nobandian. My guest today has worn many different hats in the metal scene since the early 80s. He is currently the host of both the Shockwave Skull Session and the Shockwave's Hard Radio Podcast and is a director and writer whose projects include the Inside Metal series, the Band vs. Brand documentary, and his latest Bay Area Godfathers, which is out now on DVD and all major streaming services like Amazon and Apple. Please welcome to Metallicast, Bob Nalbandian. Bob, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Brandon? I'm doing very well, thank you. All right. I am very excited to talk to you about well, everything and anything because you've had I was reading up on you. I mean, I'm familiar with the documentaries and everything, but you've had such a well-rounded, diverse <laughs> career in metal and hard rock from working in magazines and then getting into uh the recording industry and working alongside artists and now obviously as a director and writer and host and you, you just you've you've sort of done it all it seems <laughs>
0: <laughs> well yeah I, I started out uh with a fanzine we're talking early 80s it's just as yeah. a, a, a metal fan and that was when you know the new wave of british heavy metal was breaking out i was fortunate to live in southern california where a lot of the action was going on i lived in orange county uh, huntington beach to be exact which was about an hour you're know, not even an hour south of la yeah. And, um, you know, started a metal fanzine called The Headbanger in 1982. And, uh, you know, it was based on basically, you know, tape trading and magazines like Kerrang! that were out. And uh, the new wave of British heavy metal that I was a huge fan of at that time. And, uh, you know, there were other fanzines. Brian Slagle had a fanzine called right. New Heavy Metal Review just before he started uh metal blade records with the metal massacre series and it sure, was an yeah. exciting time and and of course in the bay area you had Ron Fontana with metal mania you had uh, uh john sternanski had his magazine the metal rendezvous start around the same time i did uh brian liu had a magazine called whiplash that lasted a couple of issues right uh there were there was you know fans you know in new york you had kick-ass monthly so it was kind of a a cool thing and uh uh, Sheila Mars uh, uh, back then known as Sheila Gray had heavy metal thunder and we were all friends and pen pals. So we would trade oh, tapes yeah. and trade stories. And, and that, that was kind of my start just as a fan. And from there, um, you know, when I moved to LA in 91, I moved into Hollywood. I started at, uh roadrunner records opened up an la office and i was referred to by john sutherland so i met with uh, case wessels the the owner of the label who was in town from holland in los angeles and and he hired me to run their la office for uh for a year or two uh and that was a lot of fun that kind of got my foot in the record industry and that was something something new to me you know i was always a fan and stuff and never really right. uh you know uh, I went into the business side but you know down living in orange county i got to know lars you know before uh, just before he formed metallica and right, right when he was forming it because he lived in newport beach and a good friend of mine patrick scott was good friends with lars and he would invite me over and we'd just he would just know him as this this dude from De- denmark this ultimate metal fan he's got the yeah. killer record collection so we'd just go to his house and and he would make us tapes he would make a uh, killer compilation awesome. tapes of all this rare new wave of british heavy metal at the time and and, you know, we just worshipped him, you know, it's like, oh, large, man, oh, this is awesome, you know. And, yeah, we didn't know he was a drummer yeah. until, you know, until like the second or third time I, I visited right. him. I saw a drum set in, in the spare room there, you know, and I was kind of blown away. I go, you could play drums in Newport, in a, a, a condo in Newport Beach, you know, real conservative. And, uh, you know, that was from the time he met with James. Yeah. And, you know, funny enough, we knew James. Uh, From the Woodstock, he was in a band called Leather Charm, but I used to always see him and I, you know, I, he would always kind of stare me down because I had a jacket. Uh, I was one of the, you know, original guys in Orange County that had patches of of all the, you know, everything from Judas Priest to Rainbow to Black Sabbath to Motorhead, Saxon, Iron Maiden you know, uh, right. stuff like that. Tigers, a pantang. So, and, and it was, it wasn't even a, it wasn't even a denim jacket. It was like one of those nylon windbreakers <laughs> and I had a <laughs> bunch of patches and he would always stare at me and I'm like, going, well, fuck man, just, this guy want to kick my ass. Or, you know, so I n- never looked on them. Then after I realized that was Lars's singer,
2: because Lars <laughs> described
0: the guy, I go, yeah, because you know he would. The first time I saw him, he was wearing a Motley shirt. Second time, he was wearing a Motorhead shirt. Third time I saw him, he was wearing a Venom shirt. So I'm like, okay, this guy got you know has yeah. to know someone. And I and I met up with him. I said, hey, you're you're you know the singer for Metallica, and he's like, what? But how do you know? You know, like we, we didn't even rehearse yet, really. You know, we And I said, I met Lars, your drummer, and he's like, oh yeah, and he. And he goes, dude, you've got the killer jacket. He goes, I I go, yeah, I always noticed you like kind of, you know, staring me up and down. Yeah. I was thinking you wanted to kick my ass or something. He's like, no, dude, I'm just <laughs> digging your patches, man. And so it was, it was kind of funny. So that's, that's how small of the metal community was. It was at that time. But, um, awesome. uh, yeah, it was pretty funny, but, uh, yeah, he, um, and Lars had just got together with Ron McGovernie, uh, at the time who was playing bass and, right. uh, I think, uh, James was living with, uh, Ron at a place in like Norwalk, uh, uh, Downey area. He, had his, his parents' house, he had a condo and, uh, the parents got, kind of gave him the condo because they were going to tear it down before they built the 105 freeway. Right. So we're talking, you know, 82, 81. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, so they rehearsed there and everything. And, and that's when they were auditioning guitar players, uh, and eventually, they got Dave Mustaine. And incidentally, that's how Pat met with Lars through that ad in Recycler. My right. buddy Patrick Scott, and because it said something like, you know, a new band looking to you know to play songs influenced by Motorhead, you know, Iron Maiden, and Tigers of Pantang. and Pat's yeah. like, who, who else knows of these guys? He just called him up as a fan, and you know, I mean, Pat was a practicing guitar player, but he wasn't you know, good enough to, he didn't feel it was good enough to be in a band at that point. Yeah. Uh, but he just, you know, started talking with Lars and Lars said, hey, come over, check out my record collection. And that's how it all started, the whole Metallica connection. So It's that's kind of so funny. Cool. It's kind of yeah. funny to think back now that, you know, something like that happened and they became, you know, cause, and then that, of course, at that time, they were so underground and their thoughts were just, you know, all they want to be is Motorhead, the U.S. Motorhead, the fastest, <laughs> yeah. heaviest band in the world. They, You know, th- there was no thought or a- any any inkling that they would become this mega metal band, you know, right. just like, man, if we could just yeah. have that respect that motorhead has, you know, that would be the yeah. ultimate. So, you know, it was kind <laughs> of fun. It was fun times.
1: That's so cool to hear about how, you know, it was, it seems like a small circle back in the day, but it, you guys were so close and so, so there's so much passion and energy that went into that scene that really, I feel like helped develop All the bands back then, you know, because they had it was such a even it was a small support system It was such a almost manic support system with between the fanzines and the, you know, the tape trading. It it was just such a hands on, passionate experience
0: for you guys. Dude, the underground scene was where it really is where it it, I mean, that really catapulted heavy metal to the next level, you know, not just Metallica, but, you know, all the you know, more underground thrash bands and all that. Uh, and everyone, like when I talked to Lars, he knew every, he knew Brian Slagle and John Cornerens. He had met yeah. them, you know, for, and, and, and he knew Ron Quintana. Cause he took a trip up to the Bay area yeah. and he had known Ron. And he knew all the people, he knew, you know, our chalk I, I, you know, just be mentioning stuff, R-Chalk Magazine from Holland. he breaks yeah. out a bunch of issues, you know. Uh, do you know this band Bow Wow from Japanese? And he breaks yeah. out, like, all these Japanese imports, which if I don't know if you remember, they're like $30 at yeah. time for. You know, it's like, holy shit, how would you get these? You know, it's
1: and- so funny because I recently had John Krenerans on uh, an episode, and he was also telling me about how, you know, he, when he met Lars and went to the, uh, what Michael was it, Newport Schenker Beach and Country Club? Right, right. And he was also saying yeah. how he saw, you know, the drum set at what was it Newport Beach? He had the condo, right? And, and he's right. like, he's like, you're gonna play. He had the same reaction as he like, you're gonna play drums here? Like, how's that yeah. going to work? <laughs> but it's funny too. He also mentioned he was talking about the imports, and he mentioned Bow Wow. I'm like, I, 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 and I was joking with him. I said, I feel like you know. Well, half joking, but not really fully joking. Like, there's just so many of those bands that are so uh, obscure to this day, but the influence of them, you know, is just immense. And I was half joking with them that, like, I'm pretty sure Lars Ulrich in 2020 could still introduce me and many other fans to these obscure (laughs) bands that have never been on our radar. You know?
0: Oh, totally, totally. You know, and and back then, I mean, people like listening now. Younger generation won't understand the prestige of owning vinyl, especially right. imports. Yeah. I mean, even to own a, you know, a Saxon importer, uh, you know, an Angel Witch on import, you know, you would pay, you know, uh, you know, 12, 13, 14 bucks for it, you right. know, but it was just the prestige of having that vinyl and owning it. And his record collection was all he had all the imports. The wow. Japanese imports the new wave of British heavy metal imports all the singles, all the neat singles. And we had quite a few of them, but not, I mean, nothing like his out, you know, yeah. he had the first legend album. He, he taped for us and the diamond head, the original diamond head, he had the Soundhouse tapes, the uh, wow, yeah. Iron Maiden Soundhouse. So he had everything. He had the first Def Leppard single, the original on um, Bludgeon or records or whatever. Yeah. He, he had it all. And it was like, you know, and it was like, holy shit, this guy, this guy's awesome, you know? <laughs> so but, obviously, uh,
1: yeah, obviously you saw his passion. Were you at all aware of how, um, you know, he's usually rightfully recognized as sort of the the business of the band? Did you recognize that at all in his personality back in the day of just being very business minded? Well, not and... so much
0: business. I mean, he was, he was just not snotty little kid, you yeah. know, but he, he had the determination, you know, he yeah. had. He totally had this drive and this energy like no other, you know. You could just mm-hmm. see it. And you could see that the guy was just determined, you know, because we're, we're like walking on us this guy's, you know – kind of full of himself who, who is it you know he's, uh, you know this guy's full of, you know full of shit Where he's talking about his career your music and we're just like let's you know just let's just be friends with him get some cool music out of him we're like you know who is this guy because he would just go off and talk about the stuff he would do and, and like you know yeah. but then you know he would talk about he, he, how he went to england because i think it was like when we met him it was just after he came back from england in, and was hanging out with Motorhead and hung out with uh, Sean uh, Harris and Brian Tattler, right, right. He stayed with Brian Tatler from Diamondhead for, for, you know, several weeks. And he was telling us about it, that trip. And we're like, dude, you know the guitar, you know, Brian from Diamond Head, you met Lemmy, holy shit, you know, and, and, you know, we never thought that he would become the the biggest rock star in the world, we just thought, dude, this guy knows Lemmy, he's cool, you know, so we were, you know, kind of worshiping him back before, you know, he was anything, but, you know, but at the same time, you know, we're kind of like, you know, uh, you know, the guy was just like, uh, you know, uh, really... uh, um, Really sarcastic, you know, they, yeah. Which I wasn't really used to that that you know European sarcasm, you know. So you didn't really know, uh, you know, if if, if he was kind of mocking you sometimes or whatever. But uh, but it was cool. It was just cool, uh, you know, to to know him. But you you definitely felt that energy with him and sure, and, and yeah. that determination. And he just kind of, you know, said and did what he wanted to do, you know, and and so so yeah, you you could see that he would kind of go somewhere. I mean, I didn't see it in like a business sense. Cause I was a kid then too. I was like 16, sure. 17, yeah. you know? So uh, you just thought, Oh, here's this cool guy that has all this killer metal <laughs> shit. You know, that's all we cared about, you know? Right. <laughs> Do
1: you remember at all hearing, um, any initial jams between Lars and James before, you know, Ron and Dave came into the picture, like, but leading up to metal massacre and, you know, hit the lights on there or anything like that?
0: No. Um, uh, have you spoke with Patrick Scott? Known, uh, yeah. My but he because he went to some of the just uh, In fact, a mutual friend of ours, Steve Hallis, auditioned yeah. for them before Dave Mustaine was in the band. Oh uh, Yeah, uh, but I think I think when we met him, he just started jamming with James. And all then right. James kind of brought Ron McGoverny into the fold, and gotcha, and you yeah. know Ron will even tell you he goes, I wasn't that good of a bass player, I just was a practicing bassist. But <laughs> you know they basically got him in the band because he had his house where they were able to rehearse in his garage, and he was right. you know he was James's buddy, and James was living there with him, so you know it was more out of convenience. But Ron, Ron was a good guy, and we we saw all the shows, we saw the you know very first show they did at Radio City, and then the second show they did opening for Saxon, and. You know, uh, you know, they did a couple shows at the Concert Factory and Woodstock, and uh, uh, they did quite a few shows, in, you know, in, in the Whiskey and the Troubadour. So, you know, it's funny, because people say, oh, they only did, like, you know, uh, uh, three or four shows in L.A. It's like, no, they must have did at least 25 shows in L.A. Yeah. and Orange County before wow, yeah, going yeah. up to uh, the the Bay Area, so... Uh, and you know they were rusty they were they were very rusty at the yeah. time but they got better and better. they got they got good real quick i'll tell you that
1: do you have any specific uh memories or stories from that first show that you saw that they played
0: yeah well i remember dave Mustaine breaking a string and he didn't <laughs> have a backup guitar you probably heard that story <laughs> yeah. and they they played and they he broke a string and it took like 10 minutes they took an intermission for him to restring the guitar and if i remember correctly they started up a song but they didn't start it from the beginning they just counted it off where they left off <laughs> <laughs> and I, and they did all covers so i don't know what song they did like yeah. four diamond head songs they did uh blitzkrieg by blitzkrieg sweet savage killing time let it loose by savage yeah. and uh uh maybe one other and, and they did hit the lights hit the lights was the only original they had yeah. And that was just before it got on Metal Massacre. And um and we were there me, Pat, and Lloyd Grant, there the guitar player that played on the first uh uh first version of Metal Massacre and Steve Hallis. I remember the four of us were there in the front. And uh it was kind of crowded like in the back all the tables were kind of full, but the uh uh, area in the front there was just like a handful of us uh watch of course we dug it because we knew all those you know we knew diamond head and all that nobody right. else knew that they were a co- doing covers everyone thought they were originals because yeah. nobody had heard of diamond head <laughs> or savage <laughs> right, yeah. or sweet savage at that time and uh and still probably today don't know <laughs> uh those bands <laughs> a lot of people but uh uh, yeah, no, I mean, you know, we, we dug it. It was, you know, they were rusty, but we're like, you know, we're like, fuck, man, this is great here. You know, some these songs played live, so uh, yeah, uh, yeah, it was cool. And you know, the uh, Saxon show, we saw the, uh yeah, and I and I remember Lars telling me after, after, at that show in the parking lot, he's going, yeah, dude, we just got the opening shot uh, slot for Saxon at the Whiskey. And of course, I had already bought the ticket for Saxon. I'm like, bullshit, you ain't you ain't opening for Saxon. Come on and see, man. Come down. And sure enough, you know, Rat was opening one night, and the, uh, Metallica opened up the second night. So. Wow, yeah. And they did two shows a night, too. I think we actually saw both shows. Oh, wow. Uh, that was when bands did that. So it was four shows, two shows on, like, Friday night, two shows on Saturday night, yeah. That's great, yeah.
1: You said that they you could see the progress fairly
0: quickly in like those
1: initial shows.
0: Yeah, when they because um, what what I remember, they went up to the Bay Area, did a few shows, they came back still with that same lineup before um, yeah uh, before Cliff joined, uh, but they had come back from the Bay Area doing shows and they opened up for Y&T at the Woodstock, and uh, that was when Y&T had just come out with Black Tiger, so place was packed and metallic opened up and it was like holy shit man what happened and you could tell they really honed their craft by playing in the yeah. bay Area. they got that confidence uh, james had a lot more confidence he was playing guitar now too you know i think that might have been one of the first shows i've seen him uh well he, he died it was kind of sketchy of uh, which uh i know the first couple shows uh he was just singing uh yeah. but i don't remember when i first saw him playing but he was playing guitar and singing And he was, uh, because before, you know, Mustaine did all the talking in between songs, as you probably heard. Yeah. And, uh, but this time you just saw the confidence and the tightness. They were so tight. And uh, uh, they still didn't, you know, they didn't like move around. They weren't the metallic as you see. They weren't, you know, but it was like, it was like, holy shit, is this the same band that, you know? So, yeah, (laughs) at at that point, it's like, God damn, this band is really getting good. And I think a lot of it had to do with their, Uh, play in the Bay area where they play in front of a huge, you know, a fan base that appreciated them. And that really gave them the confidence because here in the LA, all these shows they did in LA people, you know, uh, you know, didn't really care for them. It was kind of like, ah, you know, know, and they were playing with a lot of the hair metal bands, obviously. So, you know, it wasn't uh, until they went up to the Bay area until they kind of uh, realized that, Hey, you know, this is, this is kind of our place. And, uh, uh, and then I saw them after they got, um, uh, you know, after when they got Kirk and uh, 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 Cliff, and they had played um, uh, uh, the Country Club, I'm doing for Raven when Kill 'em All just came. Oh wow! And at that point, they were just amazing. It was like, holy shit, these guys are good. This is yeah. like a whole different band. I mean, they just like, you know, James had complete confidence, and they were just, uh, you know, just uh, a killer band. Yeah, it was. It was like, holy shit, this band is good.
1: So uh, to backtrack just a little bit, it, I'm just curious because you, you were able to kind of give a little bit of personal insight on um, a few of the guys. What was your like initial thoughts on Mustaine as a player and as a person?
0: Oh, I, I love Mustaine. I always yeah. got along really good with Dan, still do to this day. Uh, you know, we still you know chat you know here and there, text each other back right, and forth yeah. or whatnot. Um, he uh, when he first started. I mean, he was brash. He was crazy, you know. They, they were all kids, and they were kind of crazy. And right, you know, yeah. I grew up in this, you know, suburban Huntington Beach, very conservative, you know, house. You know, I I tried to act like I was this cool rocker guy, but you know, I had kind of short <laughs> hair, and then you know, and and would hang out with these guys. And I and I'm just going, oh fuck, I I can't. I I just remember this one show, and they didn't. Yeah, to talked about Metallica parties. That they didn't have. I know Pat went to a couple parties in Dana Point that they played. Yeah. Uh, and, and stuff. I didn't go to those. Uh, a lot of the shows I, I didn't, I actually didn't I go to, um, uh, some of the concert factory shows, but I, I went to a handful of them, but they didn't have parties like it was, uh, you know, like they did up in the Bay area yeah. at, uh, at the Metallica house. They had right. uh, a little, little party, like in the parking lot before, after the shows we'd hang out at the, you know, yeah. the Woodstock and Radio City was in the same kind of shopping not shopping center, but they're next door to each other, and they had a yeah. giant parking lot out there, and people would just hang out there and drink. And I just remember hanging out there, and I think Dave Mustaine or one of his buddies like was just getting hammered, and like threw a beer bottle and it went through like a car windshield or something. It was like, I got to go, man. I, I, I'm not going to get it <laughs> rusted. I'm gonna, you know, it's just like, this is not a good suit. Uh, I don't know if it's day. It might've been one of his buddies, but I just remember it hit, it just hit a car and it, sh- it shattered all over. And I'm like, fuck, these guys are too, too crazy for me. But yeah, Dave, Dave was crazy. And he will did yeah. it himself. I mean, he was, yeah, yeah, yeah. he was a wild man back then. And he, you know, and something could trigger, you know, once, uh, uh, but he was always super cool to me and super respectful. And, you know, that was when, you know, I started my fanzine. And, you know, the, the, my first issue, I did a, a, a feature on Metallica. And, um, right, and so Dave, you know, really took to me and, uh, and you know, so did the other guys, and they, you know, kind of had that respect for me that, you know, I'm this fanzine writer. I did, you know, the first, you know, Pat and I did an uh, 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 article previously in Metal Mania, uh, Ron Quintana's magazine. on Right, that too, so. yeah. Uh, that was, uh, you know, so yeah, I mean, they always, and, and Dave was always cool and, you know, uh, uh but he definitely was kind of like the front man. He was like the, he was the guy, I don't remember if I ever saw his band panic. I remember they were from Huntington beach, you know, where I was yeah. from, he knew a lot of the people I knew from school and some of the uh, oh, wow. musicians. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he, he was like, he was definitely the most experienced musician, and, uh, uh, and he had, uh, you know, he had, he was uh, overly confident, you know, so he would yeah. get up on stage and do all the talking and everything. And, you know, James was pretty shy and withdrawn at the time. So, yeah. uh, and, you know, I could see, you know, Dave was really kind of the driving force at least, you know, with their live shows. Right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, they, you know, they, um, you know, they seemed to have, you know, kind of got along. I didn't see the, you know. Uh, uh, you know, really the bickering and that kind of stuff. And Ron was a very mellow guy. Ron yeah. was just kind of, and Ron was always really cool. I, I, I always liked Ron and, uh, you know, still do since I've, I've, I've been lots in touch with him the last year or so, but uh, when he was on Facebook, you know, we'd chat here and, right, there and yeah. stuff and, yeah. and hang out. But yeah, um, you know, and, and uh, uh, but yeah, they were just, you know, I mean, to me at the time, you, you know, you didn't know, What they were gonna turn? They were just like another kind of local band, you know. Yeah. Right. And we just dug them because they were playing European style of metal, you know. And it was them and Armored Saint. That's when I discovered Armored Saint around that time. And I remember telling Patrick and Pat brought James and Lars to that show at Woodstock. And I think that was their first show when you know they wanted because they still weren't happy with uh, James wasn't happy with being a singer and guitar player. He wanted to be one or the other. He wanted to just play guitar and uh you know and you know back then his voice was way different if you hear the old oh yeah yeah much higher pitch and everything Yeah, i think that was the first time they approached john bush was that that uh, first woodstock show but um uh yeah yeah good times man
1: it's funny you (laughs) it's funny you mentioned armored saint because i've i've had them uh a lot of my mind lately because i just uh I well I I was had the opportunity to interview John Bush for the podcast and uh, I've had a opportunity to hear the new album which is really really great. Amazing. It's dude. Awesome. Such a great it's album. So Punch good. Yeah, yeah, it, 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 is, it really it's, is. From start to finish it's just a, a, a just a superbly solid album. And so yep. and then and I just recently saw the trailer for their upcoming documentary too. Um that is coming out. So there's I, I've it's funny you mentioned this because I've been thinking a lot about them. But between the interview and the new album and seeing the trailer and, and I and I hope that the album is does great things for them because it's really,
0: really good. Absolutely. Yeah, I can't wait to see the documentary and I was uh, honored to be a part of it. Russell yeah. Carrington I think did a great job in in the you know the trailer and the parts I've seen so far. So uh that should that should be good, man. They deserve it. They were a band that really busted their ass. And I mean, they were one of the, the, to me, I thought they were the best of all the LA metal bands, you know, yeah. And I pushed them like crazy back then. And they had, uh, you know, and they, you know, they were bigger than Metallica in the beginning. They had right. signed with Chrysalis and yeah. Metallica opened a lot of shows. And, you know, Lars even said, and I believe in my document, one of my documentaries that, you know, we just wanted to ride the coattails of armored Saint, thinking we would, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> get noticed, you know, because, yeah. uh, yeah, in LA, uh, Metallica didn't have, uh, you know, Armored Saint was really the only band they really had a kinship with. I mean, they would do, I don't know if they did shows with like Savage Grace or some of the other Metal Blade bands. I know they did some shows with Bitch and some of the other Metal Blade bands, but really it was Armored Saint and that really yeah. uh, had the big following and had the crazy, you know, headbangers that would, would follow them and pack the places. So, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm.
1: Is there any I mean, there's so many bands from that scene. I'm curious who who are some of the other bands that stood out to you as um, whether they made it big or perhaps kind of fizzled away for one reason or another. If there's any bands maybe you thought should have been bigger than they were or what were some of the bands that you remember that really stood out to you?
0: Well, I thought Warrior was a great band. That debut album, Fighting for the Earth, I thought should have been huge. And uh, and Joel, incidentally, was one of the producers of Inside Metal, Joe Floyd, and an amazing guitar player, producer. Um, That album, I think, had everything, just total European metal. I always liked the European metal bands. I thought Malice were a good band. Their first album, very Judas Priest. Uh, I didn't care for the License to to Kill as much, but the... uh, uh see I almost went Beastie Boys "License to Ill. license to yeah. kill. Uh, <laughs> the first <laughs> album, what was it called? In the beginning, uh
2: you yeah. know, with
0: Gods of Thunder, Stellar Masters and and all those songs, uh Terror Woman. Uh they were always a good li- They were great live. They look great live. James Neal, great vocalist, uh, you know, very European sounding. I thought they were a really good band. Um, You know, you had a lot of, uh, you know, Slayer. I saw the very first shows of Slayer when they were doing covers. I love that first Slayer. Wow, yeah. I, like that. I used to see them at the Woodstock all the time. And, yeah. you know, obviously they made it big. But, uh, right. you know, Savage Grace was a good band. Uh, there was Tyrant that played a lot. Abator, I saw a lot of their early shows. I thought they were really good. Um, you know, there were a lot of real, and they were all heavy bands back then, you know. Uh,
1: yeah, it was such a diverse scene, too. Yeah, Metallicas I mean, everyone and the Slayers talks about and then, the glam
0: bands. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you had, obviously, you know, the Motley's and, and Rat and was, was starting in Steeler. Uh, you know, Steeler were kind of in between. Ron Keel, they had, they had some heavy tunes, but,
2: right. um,
0: uh, you know, you had that, uh, but you did have a lot, you know, there's a band called Overkill, uh, L.A. Overkill, that were kind of motorheadish. They were like punk metal. And uh, there was another band called the Stepmothers, I think, from like a San Bernardino area that would do shows opening for Wasp uh, sometimes. You know, Avatar would open a show or Overkill would open a show. And, you know, Wasp were the big band. The Wasp was a heavy band in in the beginning. Yeah, Um, yeah, they were kind of the hair metal, you know, gimmicky thing, but they had some pretty heavy tunes. Um, But yeah, there were a lot of bands as far as, uh, uh, you know... um, uh, yeah, yeah. I was managing a band. or I was friends with the band, August Redmoon. They turned into Eden, who I was later managing oh, yeah. uh, in yeah. the early 80s. And uh, uh, Mike Henry, uh, uh, rest in peace, was I always thought was an amazing front man. Yeah. A great voice. Um, you know, they would pack the Woodstock, and they were like a big Orange County band. Dante Fox, who turned into Great White, you know, when they oh, had yeah. Don Costa yeah. on bass. You know, Crazy Don Costa and uh, Tony Richards on drums. <laughs> Uh, they were good. You know, they were a fun band to watch, and uh, a lot different than Great White than what Great White became. You know, kind of right. a bluesy, bluesy rock band. Uh, you know, they were a little Van Halen. I used to love Snow. Uh, you know, Carlos Cavazo's old band, Stephen Quadros, uh, Doug Ellison. They were a band that that you know played LA a lot, and during the Starwood yeah. era, I never made out to the Starwood, but they they were good. Uh, a La Carte were a local Huntington Beach band, more of a boogie band. Uh, kind of ZZ Top meets Van Halen, but well, just such a great live band. Yeah. I always thought they were a great band that should have made it. Uh, and we're so pro. I mean, just amazing musicians. All those bands, you know, had had right. you know, really great players, you know.
1: Was it a surprise to you at all when Metallica made the decision to go to the Bay Area and leave LA?
0: No, I knew them them talking about that a yeah. lot. And I knew that, you know that, that that Cliff kind of made that uh, clear to them <clears throat> that he's not going to move down to LA, yeah. and I know they all wanted to go up there, and I you know I uh, uh, don't think it was like a second thought in their mind. It was like hey yeah. you know we you, our fans are there, we have a support system out there, uh, you know, and uh, I think it was you know either there or New York. You know, they they yeah. lived in New York for about a month when they were recording there. And, Right. You know they had the uh, Old Bridge Militia down there, up, uh, you know sure, in New yeah. York that supported them, but I think I think San Francisco was their home. I think it, uh, you know, they they caught on to them very early on with KUSF yeah. and and you know Metal Mania and all the fanzines and all the the uh, uh, you know uh, headbangers out there. So no, it wasn't that much of a surprise that they uh, moved up there.
1: Was the was the L.A. audience kind of? Like the stories you hear as a Metallica fan or you know, about how the L.A. crowd was just largely uninterested and therefore, is is there a
0: lot of truth to that or? Yeah, but, you know, to be honest, I've said this before, not, not to be an asshole, but, uh, we loved Metallica because they were playing, you know, songs we loved, Diamond Head and all right. that. But yeah, they really weren't that good. Uh, they weren't, <laughs> yeah. they weren't seasoned musicians, except for maybe Mustaine. I mean, Metall- Lars had just started playing drums. I mean, Patrick had said he had seen him when he first met Lars and would see him playing. And he's you know a beginner player. He's just like starting out. You know, he was right. in that room in Newport Beach. And uh, 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 James, you know, James was in some bands, Leather Charm and a couple others, but. James didn't have that stage presence, you know, that everyone sees now. I mean, he yeah. it just kind of stood there and was, and, and Mustaine was kind of the the whole band. So, you know, for people to say, yeah, they just kind of stood there. I mean, if, if, if you know, back then you had to be a visual band too, you know, yeah. and that's where the image came in with the hair metal and you had to be, you know, a front man, you had to be kind of, and they were just, they played, you know, they were, they were actually pretty tight, even early on when they pl- uh, played and, uh, but sometimes they would do, like Dave Mustaine would play faster. And, uh, you know, I think Ron would have a kind of a hard time keeping up on some of the real fast songs, yeah. you know, and stuff. So it was, uh, uh, you know, and I think that the audience kind of in, in LA, I think in the Bay Area, they didn't, you know, it was just like, hey, this is what we like. We like the heavy. Right. Yeah, yeah. And, and in LA, it's more, it's all, you know, musicians, you know, it's all about the music, you know, it's all about, you know, Eddie Van Halen and Randy Rhodes, you yeah. know, all these great guitar players that were coming coming out of LA, you know, and uh, and that kind of thing. And uh, uh, but, you know, I mean, it's funny because they started out playing the clubs right away. Boom. They went to the Radio City. Then they went to open up for Saxon their second show. Most bands start playing parties. Like, I mean, there were other bands at the time starting out like Leatherwolf who were, a big right. Huntington Beach band. And they started out just playing parties and gaining their following. And then they yeah. started playing the clubs. And by the time they played the clubs, they were packing them in with just, you know, from their notoriety from parties. But yeah, Metallica just went full force ahead. They're like, Hey, we're not going to start from the beginning. We're just going to boom, go right up there <laughs> opening up for say, on the second show. I'm like, shut up. You ain't opening up for Saxon. Just come to the show. Come see. And sure enough, you know, that Lars, uh, you know, was a go-getter. He had, he and, and ron McGovney had some good connections too because he was a a photographer for motley crew and oh, well, yeah. uh that's that's incidentally how they got the uh, uh the slot for saxon yeah you know uh, uh you know through, through that so um you know i think everyone in in the early metallica there was a reason everyone played a role you know ron McGovney paid for all that he he paid for their trucks to go up to the bay area he paid for the BAM Magazine ads, which was a big ad, you know, yeah. at the time. And he paid for the hotels and all that stuff. So, you know, uh, uh, he was he was a key ingredient. A lot of people forget that about Ron. Uh, you know, so if, if that didn't happen, who knows? They could have, you know, fallen apart. You know, if yeah. they couldn't have did those shows up in the Bay Area or, or whatever. Because, you know, they, they didn't have the money. Lars was working at a gas station at the time. Right. I think uh, James was working at a silkscreen screen. Uh, place uh, t-shirts and stuff so um you know
1: yeah that's what um when mark england when mark england was on the podcast we were talking a lot about sort of those unsung heroes you know from the early days um who just really helped the band in so many ways that you maybe don't always hear a lot about for one reason or the other you know or um so it's really cool to hear you you know be able to also share, you know, your first-hand accounts of Ron and others who were there, hands-on, really helping the band. Because, like you said, who knows where they would have ended up without all these helping hands along the way? Whether it's Ron or John Cranarins or you know, and so many others.
0: Yeah, and John too, who, who I know really well, uh, him getting them on, uh, uh, introducing them to Brian Slagle, and getting them on the first Metal Master. That yeah. was crucial. People don't realize how big. Just to have vinyl out, or just even on a compilation album, to have a song on there—that right. is shows prestige. You know, you could get a gig. You could play the the of Hollywood Clay. We got we got a song on this record. You know, well, wow, oh really? Yeah. Wow. So you know that was definitely uh, show a sign of prestige. So uh, uh, you know, every little bit helped, and, and they kind of had this battle plan, and they just uh, you know kept moving forward. They didn't stop and think. They just boom. You know, that's you know they got this offer from. Johnny's Eve yeah, let's go yeah. you know let's go to New Jersey and stay there and record there and do what we got to do to make this yeah. happen so yeah
1: as somebody who was there first hand in the scene was there a moment when you were like oh wow Metallica is going to break through and do it And uh, whether it was you know kind of become the next big thing in metal or was there also a point later on where you were like oh wow they're they're going to be huge
0: well, when I saw them open for Y&T at the Woodstock, it was like, wow, this band is getting really fucking good. They're tight. Yeah. They, and this is still with their original lineup with Ron McGovernie and, and Dave Mustaine. Yeah. But I knew at that point, it's like, man, these guys progress. And like I said, they had already done a, sh- a, a few shows up in the Bay Area. And I hadn't seen them in a while at that point. And then I went and saw them. And I was like, holy shit. Yeah, you know, I could tell they built a lot of confidence. So that was one, and then when I saw them at the Country Club with, you know, their first shows with Kirk Hammett and, uh, uh, you know, of course the Cliff uh, when they opened for Raven to kill them all for one tour, and they just you know and and you know I thought oh there, there's no way you know Raven they were like one of my favorite bands you know right, they're yeah. amazing like, I'm going oh how's how's Metallica I mean Metallica's great but how are they gonna do opening up for Raven, you know, but Metallica just killed it, you know. I oh, mean, they yeah. were amazing, and the crowd loved them. And you know, by at that time, you know, Kill 'Em All, all the metalheads had Kill 'Em All. You know, it was a uh, it was a big underground uh, record, even in L.A. You know, people yeah. talk about a uh, but even at that point, once their record came out, people went, to, you know, got into Metallica, and they were playing them on, you know, on, on major radio, on the, you know. Uh, KMET, which was the big uh, rock station in LA, had a uh, the Mighty Metal Hour, and they were playing stuff off Kill 'Em All. So you know, at that time, you know, uh, Metallica, uh, you know, uh, you know, started getting big and all over. You know, and in LA, they had a big fan base, and it was like they had as big a fan base as, as Raven. It seemed you know, as was like it. Yeah. So that was one moment too, and I, I never thought to the point where I would I would they would get you know, to be the biggest rock, mainstream rock band in the world. Yeah. I never thought that until the Black Album came out. I mean, I, I jokingly said my, my uh, 15 seconds of fame on that metal evolution that people keep bringing <laughs> up. I make some comment about when I first saw them. I, I went to this dance club when uh, the Metallica Black Album came out. And it was like this, you know, playing dance music, like a, a you know, preppy, uh, you know, big, you know, Club that had yeah. you know the big dance floor and re- and they're playing and they turn, played Enter Sandman and I saw all these you know short hair kind of yuppieish kids dancing to Enter Sandman and I was just like <laughs> what the fuck and that was like the the moment I go God damn this band has made it huge I said how did this happen You're not supposed to dance to Metallica I felt like going to the dance floor and going to the DJ What are you doing <laughs> playing metallica at a dance club you know but at that point it was like oh okay i guess i got it accepted this band is huge you know
2: because i knew yeah. it
0: was kind of like you're in denial you know how big right. the black yeah. album was like sure but you just thought it was all kind of more metal heads by yeah. you didn't know that they really crossed over into that mainstream with you know because this was you know with enter Sandman, and of course nothing else matters really took yeah. them over but uh you know yeah it was that 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 those three inc- incidences uh, uh, were probably the three that made me go, damn, this band is going to be huge. <laughs> and, of course, that's <laughs> a Sandman. It was like, that was it. Yeah. After that, it's like, okay. I was in a days in a fog after that, just going, wow, this yeah. is Metallica. But, What's yeah. going on here? <laughs> <laughs> is there... And I I was pissed or upset or like, right. I like oh, they sold out. or, or I was just like kind of in awe, it's like, yeah. how did this happen? How did they get from <laughs> that to this? And, like, wow. Well, especially you know, somebody with
1: a personal relationship, too. You, well, you, yeah, you and saw that you there. went from day one, yeah. and,
0: and Lars was all against the mainstream, you know, at the beginning, it was all, yeah. you know, oh, that's commercial, it's got to be better, you know, it's got to be better, <laughs> you know, and this, you know, so, yeah, it's kind of funny,
1: but, uh. So, to kind of tie in with that, um, is there, you know, they've they've always kind of try to push themselves musically whether it was you know releasing you know ride the lightning i mean the the jump from kill Him all to ride the lightning is gigantic i
0: think and obviously that's pushing a good the point envelope, that's when know? i that's when i really saw this. this band is a worldwide metal you know yeah I, when they did ride the lightning it's like got you know this band is like judas priest acdc oh, yeah. this band they're not just this underground thrash metal band you know yeah uh, the, i mean just the maturity of Rise of lightning with, with James's vocals, just the, uh, uh, you know, from one album to the next, his, his vocals were, and and the songwriting and the lyrics, you know, I mean, you look at the fade to black and for whom the bell tolls, it's like the jump they made. And, you know, we, we all had the demo earlier, the, uh, four song demo, right. With, uh, 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 ride the lightning and fight fire with fire. And, uh, uh, for whom the bell tolls, I think fade to black and they were a little bit faster and, and, and such. And it was kind of a, a very raw demo, so we kind of knew the direction. It was like, holy shit, man! But yeah. when that album came out, the production—it was like, man, this, this, uh, you know, this this band has taken it to the next level, big time.
1: Yeah, that, I'm, there's very few bands, if any, that I feel like have made that gigantic of a jump from the first to second album. Yeah, yeah,
0: and I think uh the first album was a little premature. You know, they had the yeah. songs and. You know, Mustaine out of love the of songs, they went right into studio, and like I said, they were only together. You know, not even. I mean, most bands back then. You know, uh, you know, like the inside metal documentaries you talk about. People look at bands like you know, oh, Van Halen. They just made it on the scene and made it huge. Or yeah. Y&T. You know, Y&T were around since 1974. Yeah. You know, people then. You know, people lump them into the 80s hair metal because of a uh, summertime girl. You oh, they're just some new. 80s band that just came in. No, they've been busting their ass. Most of those bands, Van right. Halen was busting their ass in 74. You know, all these bands worked, the clubs worked for years before they got record deals. Metallica, they just, uh, you know, they got on that metal massacre on the compilation. Boom, within months, they got a deal with, uh, um, you know, Johnny Z. Yeah. they Everything went so quick for them, you know, so they yeah. weren't really, I think when they did the first album, uh, they just, you know, it was more like, going in recording, you know, their, like the No Life to Leather demos. It wasn't that right. big of a jump from there. But, yeah, with Rise of the Lightning, I think they really took the time, wrote, you know, and got, got to know each sure, other as yeah. a band. I think Cliff was a big part of that, too, bringing all that together. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't know Cliff very well. I met him a couple times. But he definitely seemed to be, you know, kind of the brainchild of, of 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 uh, you know, it's definitely the most musical guy in the band. And, yeah. you know, I think that really – um you know, yeah, definitely catapulted them to the next
1: level. So as they continue to sort of go through their career and, you know, do more stuff, whether it's, you know, release, uh, their first music video or do a song like nothing else matters or, you know, cut their hair short for load reload. Is there anything that to you was like, Oh, that's like, it just took you by surprise.
0: No, I mean, you know, of course we were going through, uh, you know, our phases, but we always kind of, you know, I got the people that, oh, Metallica, there's sellouts. I mean, did we, I, I you know, I kind of had that feeling when ACDC did Back in Black. And as much as I love that album now, I mean, you look back, you go, that's great, that's a perfect album, you know?
2: Yeah, right. Uh,
0: but back then, yeah, I was such a big Bond Scott fan, and then you hear them on the radio, and then you see, you know, like, you at your high school and you see preppies and, and cheerleaders in, <laughs> into acdc it's like no no you know and, and that was the point but you know in a way that's what kind of got me into motorhead and, and the new wave of British yeah. heavy metal it was like i gotta go heavier i can't you know acdc's mainstream now so i get it from a <laughs> band point of view you always want to discover new bands and be right, the first yeah. you know i'm the one that's into iron Maiden. no one else could you know they're my band you know right, right? yeah and so yeah. You know, I got that. I think, you know, they did take a giant leap, you know, especially when they did the load and reload. And, and they and they had to have known it. You know, they yeah, they, they, sure. did, they yeah. knew what they were. And, you know, so they they knew they were going to get some backlash. Um, me personally, I don't think, you know, I go back to listen to those records. And the Black I, I I'll always stand behind the Black Album. I thought that was a great step forward. Oh, yeah. yeah uh, I mean, it's the, a the heavy record of Wolf yeah. Man, some of those songs sad but true. The production is I mean that album you could just crank up. It was heavy. It was you know yeah. it was all you know definitely it had like some groove. It was just slowed down. It was different. James sounds amazing on it. And even nothing else matters wherever I may roam. He just you know it's it's a dominating record. It's, it's yeah, you know it's like the equivalent sure. to back and black. Yeah. So that I, I really had no problem with it. it was the stuff after not that I had a problem with it. It was just kinda like yeah all right, they're stepping over the boundaries a little too much now. Go back, yeah. you know. I, I thought it was great with the Black Album because they really took a step forward. They did something different with Load and Reload. They just kind of tried to write on that, that coattail of the Black Album and even go more so in the yeah. kind of radio, kind of whatever direction that they felt, uh, you know, the this, you know the rock scene was, was going to. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't think it was really them, you know, doing it. Uh, yeah. Uh you know, but yeah, you know, it, it. You know, they came back around. I mean, the thing about them is, you know, they did "Saint Anger," of course, which a lot of people didn't like. Lulu, which are, you know, they, they could do those, they could make those right. those albums, but they'll come right back and just do a kick-ass album, yeah. you know, with uh, you know, "Death Magnetic" or the you know, the last album. Yeah.
1: I was just talking um, to somebody earlier this week for another episode, and uh, they were saying that, you know, they. they if Metallica comes out with a new album and it's not really their cup of tea and it's not something, they're not really that fond of it. It's not going to stop them from getting the next album, (laughs) which it seems to be like the case is like, you know, they can come out with uh, an album. It can take its hits from people, but then the next one's number one, selling millions and they're touring the world, selling out arenas. It's like, there's just no stopping them. They're like kind of a monster in that way, you know?
0: Well, yeah, they'll do their experimental thing whether it be yeah. Jane Anger or Lulu do some or their uh, thing with the um uh you know the the uh uh, uh orchestra. Uh right. you know, they'll do that kind of something different but then they'll come back. Dude, it's, it's, it's I mean, you look at the bands l look, look at Iron Maiden, they'll do these new yeah. albums and not only will they put out a new album that people don't necessarily Maiden fans don't really care for they'll they'll play it live in there. It's entirety, but I went, I went to one of those
1: shows.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And they'll still sell sell out, you know, 50,000, 20,000 seats.
2: Yeah.
0: uh, And and they'll just shove it down the people. So no, we're going to do what we want to do. Yeah. So you kind of got to give, give them credit for it. And then Maiden will come back around the next tour and do like their greatest hits. Right. You know, uh, and, and back then you didn't really know. Now with YouTube and everything else, you know what what sure. you know what the set includes. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. you know, but they would just do that, and and uh, you know it was that kind of stubborn attitude, and that's <laughs> kind of what Metallica has, and I think people <laughs> respect that because like okay, yeah. well next time around it's going to be you know something solid, and, you know. Yeah. But uh, you know, but I mean, there are some people that I love the New Maiden stuff, the real progressive stuff. I, you know, kind of. Not lost interest, but after Brave New World, it's kind of like, ah, you know, I listen to the albums. I, I think you yeah, know, yeah, oh, yeah. Passchendaele, that's a great song. You know, certain songs and this and that. Sure, but yeah. You know, not something I would worship. But, yeah. you know, the fact is, they could do what they want to do and still be, you know, like Metallica, because they're a great live band, and you can't take that away from Iron Maiden. You can't take that oh, away from Metallica. Absolutely. Regardless yeah. of what tour Metallica does, they kick ass live. You
1: know? Absolutely, yeah. I remember seeing um, the... I think it was a matter of life and death that album by Maiden, and that, I think I think that was the tour where they played it from start to finish. And and yeah. that album was like when I saw them, the album had either come out like that day or like the day before, so it's like not even a lot of time to like live with the album. So I got to right. say, like you know, they're getting they're like you know halfway through they're playing. I'm like, this is sort of taxing, but it's also awesome at the same time because you're still watching Maiden live. <laughs> but then yeah, yeah, part of you's like all right, I'm kind of ready for, you know, Trooper Hall be thy name. (laughs) Sure. sure. But I respected it, you know? Like, they were like, no, we're 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 playing this thing.
0: (laughs) And, you know, it's good for new, really, because now these bands, especially these classic, you know, rock or metal bands or, um, uh, you you know, whatever they call them, they call them from the 80s or, or you know, the 70s, they'll just come out and do the hits because that's what they want. They'll come do a new album and they might maybe play one one song one or two songs cuz they know people don't want it you know but uh, i right. you got to kind of appreciate maiden for look at we're putting out new music you know
1: absolutely this yeah this is what we're
0: doing now this is the current stuff you know we'll do some old songs but yeah you're going to listen to our new shit you know and yeah. uh, you know, and it's sad for a lot of bands because a lot of bands are putting out some good new music. Totally, but kids don't care, and and it, it's not even you can't blame the fans. you blame it on radio. Radio is not classic rock. Band, uh, uh, you know, yeah. Look at that that last Van Halen album that you know a lot of people loved. You know, with Roth yeah. back in the band. Yeah, you, you didn't hear that on classic rock radio, or you right. don't hear Deep Purple or any of that. You know, and there's some right. good songs on their latter albums. You'll hear Smoke You know, the the classic rock radio. Yeah. Just plays a hit. There's no radio stations yeah. that'll play new rock from totally. classic rock bands. They're not even classic, totally. you know 80s bands or uh, 90s bands or whatever. Any new music they just don't play. They'll just play the yeah. hits that people. It's, they're just everyone's playing it safe. And even a lot of, I mean, maybe the internet stations will do that. But even like Sirius, a lot of the satellite stations, they don't even play the deep cuts. Rarely, yeah. You know, they'll and, play and, maybe one or two deep cuts, but. Yeah, it's sad. And I feel sad.
1: like and I feel like with the um you know the like internet radio stations and Sirius it's all awesome, but it's also more like you're seeking it out cuz it's a paid service or you got to go to this website like you're seeking it out so you're most likely already a fan of that type of stuff rather than you're sure. just flipping through the dial randomly like oh and something catches your ear and um unfortunately like rock radio is just a dying thing, and and I and when we do, when I do hear it, like a rock radio station, you know, some things are obvious and they're playing it or whatever, and whether it's my cup of tea or not. But then they play other things. I'm like, eh, this seems like a stretch to call it rock. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. This the stuff they call rock today is. I mean, you know, playing something with drum machines and auto tuner, that's not yeah. rock. I'm sorry, you know. And I say the same thing with R and B. I'm an old school. R&B, you know, I, I grew up with 70s R&B, right, yeah. and even when bands like, you know, you had British R&B, like the Yardbirds and, and Humble Pie and, and Rod Stewart and, and The Faces, and that was considered British R&B. It was, it was rhythm and blues. That's what R&B is, right, you know, yeah. King, whatever. Now it's a drum machine and an auto tuner. Yeah. That's not rhythm and blues. Yeah. I mean, that has nothing to do with rhythm or blues. I'm sorry. You know, I well I think R&D, the you know? I think like the
1: pro and con of um, a lot of modern music, rock included is that uh, the pro is is that you know, people are more willing to transcend genres and kind of mix things together. and I think that can be a positive. The con is is that a lot of times when they do that, you they slap the same modern production and tones on everything. And so a lot of it sounds so similar. So whether you're listening to hip hop, country or pop music or some yep. rock or like it all just sort of blends in a little yeah, bit and becomes a little bit more generic sounding you know
0: it's all pop music or most of it is all yeah. shit to me but <laughs> anyway <laughs> uh, but you know you're right they say the same thing with metal you take someone from the 80s metal I mean back then you know Poison and Warren were considered considered I never considered them metal they were like a pop hard rock band right a pop yeah. rock, you know they, but they in the 80s MTV you know Headbangers Ball they played all day hair stuff that was uh you know all the ballady uh you know the hair metal ballads that that's not yeah. metal but nowadays metal is like oh metallica's not metal because so, that's, that's not metal that's, <laughs> yeah. that's mainstream they're, rock they're know? not playing you know, blast beats is, and you know,
1: screaming so <laughs> e- e- exactly it's got to be
0: cannibal yeah. corpse or you know right yeah, you know, yeah yeah but, you know so yeah what you know whatever
1: um. So to backtrack a little bit, and hopefully this ties in nicely with your current project, Bay Area Godfathers. Were you when, when Metallica made that jump to the Bay Area? Then you had other bands coming out of there, obviously, and they they had their own scene going on. Were you traveling up there at all to see Metallica? No. See this in
0: advance? I wish I could say yes. I didn't in the early days of Metallica because it was expensive. You know, as a kid, I mean, you know, again, I was like seventeen, eighteen when Metallica were playing the Stone and. Luffy's in and all that. So I never made it up until probably the late 80s. I, I first someone went looked at the Stone and then when I worked at Roadrunner, you know, they had a few bands like Heathen and, and other bands that were uh, on Roadrunner. So I'd go up there and, and work with them and, you know, and, and hang out with Ron Quintana or Josh yeah. Sternansky while I was up there. And, and, you know, I knew those guys, all the guys, and you know, I knew all the bands. Uh, because right. we all traded the demos and the tapes. So I knew, you know, you know, the laws rockets and the broken helms and, you know, whatever albums and all the Mike Varney, uh, bands, you know, from, uh, uh, Steeler to Le Mans to, you know, uh, you know, all the U S metal compilations he did. Uh, right. So I was aware of all that and, and had, had all the records and stuff, but I knew of the scene, but I, I never did make it up there in the, in the, during that, that prime time, to be honest.
1: So, uh... Tell us about uh, Barrier Godfathers, which is uh, your most recent documentary,
0: correct? Yeah, it's the fourth title of the Inside Metal series. Awesome. And each each movie has two parts. So part one is available now. As, as you said, you could stream it on uh, Amazon Prime and on um, uh, uh, iTunes and Google Play, uh, YouTube. Yeah. Uh, Voodoo has it. Uh, And, of course, you get the DVD, uh, uh, you know, online through, uh, uh, you know, Amazon or, you know, Walmart.com or whatever uh, and and at any record store. So they're pretty readily available. And uh, it kind of goes where uh, kind of the the same kind of theme as the L.A. uh, titles. But uh, this I had uh, I wanted to get. You know, people, as you said, I didn't grow up in the Bay Area. So I got my producers, John Stranansky and, and Danny Shipman. They grew up on that scene, awesome. especially John was there yeah. since the late 70s. So see, he saw all those early Metallica shows. He was a part of that. He he was friends with, you know, Lars and Mustaine and all those the you know, Exodus, all those bands, and Bill Hale, who shot for Metal Rendezvous. So, you know, having them involved, and they introduced me to a lot of the people that we uh, interviewed, uh and Danny had some great interviews. He knew a lot of people. So, you know, it was it was a good team effort, uh, I think particularly on this one. Um, you know, and uh uh you know, we, we wanted to make it not just thrash. We wanted to cover right. like like all our movies, we cover the whole metal scene. So we'll yep. cover the glam bands from Vane and Jet Boy and and early bands like Head On and Roadrunner right. and Le Mans. And uh, you know uh, all that kind of stuff, and and bands like Stone Vengeance that people rarely talk about, but they were around since the late seventies. A great all-black metal band, uh, great guys, really a good band. Uh, uh, Righteous Sire, uh, Leather Leone, Anvil, Chorus. You know, uh, uh, you know a lot of those guys. You know, they they played you know uh, with Blind Illusion and Heathen, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, uh, you know other bands. Doug Piercy uh so a lot of these guys were in multiple bands you know craig beerhorse you know play with the ruffians just some stuff with laws rocket i caught me on michael coons and uh in la at one of our screenings for inside metal he was there with Stephen craig which is slayer's original manager and adam right. segan exodus's original manager and they're they're together at the screen it's like fuck i gotta get <laughs> you guys all together and talk about us. <laughs> so i just threw them yeah. in, in the hallway there you know unfortunately the audio isn't that great because we just did it out with a with a live camera but yeah. they were telling stories of back in the day i said we got to get you guys on on film so a lot of it was like that it wasn't all uh, you know a lot of Dan- danny's interviews he did on the spot you know with with guys from death angel and stuff yeah. like that so uh we, which i kind of like it's kinda, got that gorilla uh you know filming uh mentality sure, yeah. uh, so yeah. i kind of like to mix that in and then we got you know Alex. Uh, uh, Alex Gray, uh, my main photographer, who you know did real pro. He's a pro photographer, so it's it, but it kind of has that vibe. It's not like yeah. totally perfect talking heads on on everything. You know, it's kind of got that raw vibe, and which really fits the scene of the the Bay Area metal scene of the '80s. You know, we want to kind of give it that '80s vibe. But yeah. uh, uh, you know, Reality Check TV, who Danny worked for, and Hugh uh, Hugh McKenzie, who did the uh, the the. the uh, Post editing and really brought everything together, and and uh, they had so much great footage from that era, video footage that we were able to use and access. And and Ron Quintana had so many flyers he allowed us to access of all those old shows. So uh, it was really a good team effort. But it's a great awesome. movie, man. It's a great documentary. It goes through, you know, from the late seventies, you know, from the, you know, yesterday and today. Dave Menachetti's in it talking about the early days, as well as Mike Varney uh, talking about, you know, pre metal before it led up to the the uh, awesome. metal scene, you know, yeah. and, and Ron Quintana. And so it kind of leads into how it became this metal and thrash metal capital, you know, so it really tells a lot of history, you know, but we, we dig deep awesome. and we talked to a lot of, a lot of diverse uh, bands uh, in, in, in this documentary.
1: Fantastic. I'm really looking forward to checking that out. And you have the podcast as well.
0: Yeah. Shockwave Skull Sessions. We revamped that thanks to my partner, Matt Hartnett. You know, I used to do it years ago uh, through Roadrunner Records site. And then when I yeah. started the Inside Metal series in like 2012, I, I was just so busy, I just dropped doing the podcast. And he kind of kept bugging me. Dude, let's get it going again. I'll produce <laughs> it. I'll get it going. And we did. It's a lot of fun. I enjoyed doing yeah. it. And, uh, you know, the one on hard radio I've done uh, for years since uh, like late 90s yeah uh when podcasting uh well no i don't think i went that or i was doing uh i was work on the website doing print i mean not print but uh uh writing reviews uh, right. for that yeah. i think the podcast started 2004 or five uh, it's like right but, at the uh yeah yeah but that was cool that was uh, a lot of you know it, that's more straight up interviews and you yeah. know just uh something i i do and i just do that once a month or so so uh, but the skull awesome. sessions we do weekly, uh, shockwaveskullsessions.com, dot com, and we got it. Uh, you know, we got it through the CMS podcast network now, which goes goes through, I believe, Anchor. But you could get it on iTunes awesome. and and all different stuff. So it's it's a fun podcast, definitely. Awesome. More of a discussion style. We we'll get three yeah. or four people at a time. Yeah,
1: awesome. That uh, so check that out. You have so many projects. Um, it, and all your stuff is available. Um, Kind of at all the same locations, all the major streaming services, uh, all the retail stores that carry DVDs. You said Walmart.com and Amazon and all that. So definitely jump into the Inside Metal series, Band versus Brand. Of course, the newest one, Barry Godfathers, and now the podcast and uh, the hard radio. You can find it anywhere you get Metallica's, um, Apple Podcasts and whatnot. Um, any final Metallica stories you'd like to share?
0: Ah,
1: uh, not to put God, you on the spot, so many.
0: yeah. You know, um, <laughs> I mean, it's so so great that you know the band really hasn't changed. You know, Lars, yeah, is in the Bay Area Godfather, he's actually in all the Inside Metal titles. There's six total because, as I said, it's uh, uh well, now, now now seven, and we got part two coming out, so it'll be eight, awesome. but yeah, four movies each has two parts, and we had Lars, you know, featured in, in, in all of them. And, you know, just talking to him—it's just like when when we did the interview. I I hadn't yeah. seen him in years, and it was just like two old friends talking. From yeah, you know, that's awesome. It, yeah. it was great, and he his memory is fantastic. And, and same with the other guys. You know, I'll see James around uh, after a show or something, and uh, you know, they're they're always very gracious. And and uh, you know, I don't know Kirk uh, that well. I you know met him a couple times, and he was always great. And Robert, I met a couple times uh you know i can't say that i know them yeah um but yeah they've, they've always been great uh, dave I've, i i consider dave Mustaine, you know a good friend now awesome, we yeah. we you know talk quite a bit and uh you know uh you know i i you know uh, it was an honor he put me, me uh including me into that marty free uh the uh, uh rust in peace book that he did oh awesome uh, i got to read uh, that. yeah yeah i got marty friedman in megadeth so he uh uh included me in that book and uh uh stuff which is really nice but um yeah i mean you know there there's a lot of uh, you know different stories i mean funny stories uh about Lars and stuff <laughs> from back then but nah, i don't know if anything i should really share uh but uh, uh you know i mean it was just you know they were just these crazy metal kids that yeah. that made it huge you know so uh and you know again it was like man i was in the right place at the right time to see you know their first shows you know some of slayer's first shows armored saying now the rise all the la bands i saw you know all you know you know from wasp to uh you know all, all the you know motley crew i saw their very some of their first shows uh so just being there growing up here uh you know it, it was it was great man and and being able oh, to uh yeah you know, go to the country club and the on any given day on the, the whiskey, the rocks, you go up to the strip. And here in Orange County, we have, so, you know, we had the Woodstock Radio City uh, concert factory, the Golden Bear, which was around then, you know, you'd yeah. see major bands. I would see, you know, uh, you know, Robin Trower, or Rory Gallagher or uh, Bachman Turner Overdrive and, you know, <laughs> a little club, uh, you know, right, right down the street from my house. And yeah, it was, it was, it was just a great scene, man. So,
1: so good. I, I thank you so much for agreeing to come on Metallicast and, uh, for sharing your stories and, uh, please, you're welcome back anytime. I'd love to have you, Bob.
0: All right. Well, I appreciate it, Brandon, and you uh, take care. And, uh I, uh, I, again, thank you for all your support and uh, definitely check out, uh, the uh, latest inside metal movie Bay Area Godfathers. Part one is out and part two should be out probably in January.
1: Huge thank you to Bob Nobandian for coming on Metallicast. Please check out part one of Bay Area Godfathers out now on DVD and all major streaming services. Check out the links to purchase, rent, all that good stuff in the episode description. Please also check out the podcast, Shockwave Skull Sessions, a link to the website for the podcast. Is in the episode description as well, but you can also find it on Apple and Google and pretty much everywhere you find Metallicast. Please, if you liked this episode, download, subscribe, leave a positive five star review on Apple Podcasts. All those things go a long way in helping Metallicast continue to grow and help secure great guests like Bob on future episodes. Please also follow Metallicast on social media at Metallicast Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and instagram i hope you enjoy this one i had a blast talking to bob so many great first-hand stories and you know that his documentaries are good because he is somebody who has so much passion is a huge fan but also lived it and saw a lot of things firsthand for himself in that early la metal scene especially until next time ladies and gentlemen metal up your ass yeah